to American Education FM, everybody. I'm Dr. Sean Brooks. Well, Merry Christmas, everybody. Merry Christmas, indeed. I've got a number of stories here that I want to bring up, uh, an audio clip that I want to play, and I would also like to end with a bit of a history lesson of one of my favorite Christmas songs. But first, it's very evident that the enemy is continuing to reveal itself and show itself to numerous individuals, which is a good thing in particular regarding schools and mask wearing and the fraudulent testing, of course, that's taking place, which, by the way, I should probably start with that just very quickly. You may recall that a number of episodes ago, months and months and months ago, in fact, it was probably at least six months ago, I brought up the fact that the FDA uh, openly stated that the tests that are used for quote-unquote COVID don't work and are being recalled. And all they did immediately was just sort of push back the recall date for all of the tests. So as it turns out, the recall date has always been December 31st, and apparently that's still the case. So by the time students go back to school, if anyone is taking any test of any kind for anything whatsoever, please look up that FDA recall news and that FDA recall fact that does actually exist this way. No one ever has to take one of these stupid tests ever again. It doesn't matter what kind of test it is. They've never worked. They've they've just never worked. And anybody who's ever taken them who, who thought that they worked or, again, uh, you know, it's it's really just embarrassing. More and more employees or students or whoever should have looked up whether or not they actually worked in the first place instead of just doing what school officials wanted them to do. But as we know, the compliance is continuing to be the biggest problem in this entire this entire war so stop complying of course and bring them the most latest news on the fact that none of these tests work they've all been recalled it doesn't matter what test it is what company name it doesn't matter um, stores are still going to sell them because they still want to make money because there's enough suckers out there that are still using them thinking that they actually do something but of course they don't. So just kind of keep that in mind going forward here. Uh, th- this first story, though, that I want to cover is is worth it. And this, again, is a perfect example of a 100% tactic that a Bolshevik would use and that the Bolsheviks did use back in the early 1900s. They were completely interested in recruiting young individuals to become indoctrinated with, again, their own ideologies, their own persuasions, whatever it it may be. Again, that could be political, it could be sexual, it could be a thousand things. Um, But this audio that you're going to hear that I'm going to play comes from Abigail Schreier, if I'm saying her last name correctly. And when I saw her, um, I immediately recognized who she was. I I believe she's a psychologist or psychiatrist, if I'm not mistaken, and she and Dr. Jordan Peterson had a very long, lengthy discussion uh, on one particular occasion, at least one particular occasion that I recall, uh, on YouTube. And I highly recommend watching it. And it has to do with this business of transgendered students and their confusion and regret, um, a variety of topics all related to that. Again, if you're really interested in diving into the mind of these very confused students and their equally as confused parents and all of the elements that influence 
these miners to self-harm themselves or just flat out believe things that are not real. It's, it's really an interesting discussion. But this particular story here comes from Fox News, and as it turns out, she has acquired uh, some undercover audio, so to speak, of California educators who are engaged in calculated and strategic efforts to subvert parents and recruit middle school students into LGBTQ plus clubs. So I'm going to play her audio describing some of this, and then I'll uh, jump in on the other end. Here we go. I obtained um, audio of a teachers union conference. This is the California Teachers Association, the largest uh, public school teachers union in California. And at that conference, among other things, it was recently held in Palm Springs last month, among other things, um, they discussed, uh, they were given instruction on the surveilling of students um, for and deception of parents for um, you know, uh, encouraging their inclusion in LGBTQ clubs. The most alarming thing to me was that they were reading and encouraging other teachers to look at children's Google searches. One child, they said, had Googled transgender day of awareness. He wanted to know, you know, this child wanted to know what that was. And they had said, we need to make sure to invite that child back for, you know, that child receives a personal invitation to the LGBTQ club. So the fact that they were targeting children for these personal invitations to their club um, is, is very concerning and that they were coaching other teachers in the surveillance of students uh, for this purpose is, is really not something we usually see. These were middle schoolers. These were, these were sixth graders they were talking about surveilling and they were talking about targeting, you know, kids as young as we're talking about 11 year olds um, for personal invitations to the LGBTQ club based on these children's internet searches. Um, they talk about not taking role so that when parents ask, is my child in this club, uh, they can, you know, basically plead ignorance. Um, so, you know, and not holding and not keeping records of this club. They said, you know, effectively that, you know, if you want to bring a new society into existence, it seems the way to start that is with children. Um, and so they are, you know, active, activist teachers are actively looking to recruit other people's children in their revolution. You have to ask yourself if teachers are willing to make these remarks in an, in a broad address, a sold out conference, what are they doing that we don't know about? Unfortunately, there's been a lot of naivete and, and, you know, much of it, you know, well, well intentioned on the part of Americans. I think we, you know, broadly, we certainly support things like, you know, a, a gay club that would be a safe haven for students and in, in a middle, you know, in middle school or high school. But unfortunately, these these spaces have been exploited by activist teachers who have done so much as direct students not to repeat anything that is said in that cl club and parents really need to tell their middle school students or high school students no teacher should ever tell you to keep a secret from your parents we've seen more gender confusion among this young, young generation than we've ever seen before i think the confusion um, is is really the thing to look at these young kids this is not organic this is not something that naturally would occur on its own we are seeing coaching and, and deliberate confusion of our young kids um, when it comes to when it comes to gender identity, and it, it really isn't doing them very much good. Okay, a uh, number of things there. First of all, if anyone is attending a teachers union conference, 
That person and those people are crazy people. I'm being kind when I say that. They're crazy people. Most sane human beings don't attend such conferences. They just don't. Uh, I can't think of, the only thing that would be worse than a teacher's union conference would be a school board association conference. Talk about Boersville. And I got to tell you, it's, of course, filled with indoctrination and just a colossal waste of time. These are two organizations, teachers' unions and school board associations, that every school district should disassociate from immediately. Why teachers are a part of teachers' unions is beyond me. I've always felt that the most brainwashed among them were associated with teachers' unions. Um, again, the illusion of protection is the only thing that exists. There's no real protection. And then, as you can hear even from that, that's a California Teachers Union Association. So they're not protecting anybody. They're ensnaring even staff members. Because if certain staff members don't attend or certain schools aren't represented, then they're going to be targeted for not being associated with it. Um, and that's kind of the flip side to that coin. They will hunt down, so to speak, although not literally, but they will certainly target either through a smear campaign or, you know, some other method, um, calling them names, you know, well, they're bigots because they didn't show up and, you know, they're bigots because they don't support LGBTQ, blah, 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 blah. All of that stuff is absolute nonsense and total garbage. And this, again, is why so many schools around the United States and as a country as a whole is failing at the public school level and has been for quite some time. All of this infiltration of these organizations and their radical ideologies, and now, of course, their recruitment methods, are the larger problem. That's why disassociation from these individuals and these groups is the only way forward. Self-governance is the only way forward. You can't try to mend some kind of a uh, better relationship with these kinds of groups. It's impossible, and it cannot exist. Uh, the next thing has to do with something that she said regarding the clubs, the business of clubs, kind of at the end of, of what she was just saying there. Um, when it comes to the business of school clubs, again, I'm, I'm kind of an originalist on this entire issue. Uh, and when I say that, again, I, I, I bring to it a one-room schoolhouse mentality. And I don't expect everybody to agree with this, but I am not a proponent of different kinds of clubs, groups, school-related organizations. If an individual wants to engage in a hobby, there are I, I never understood why it was taking place within a school building and associated with the school. Why does it have to be affiliated with government? Why isn't that a group of friends can't just get together and go do something on their own? I mean, I'll give you a couple of examples. And again, I know it's a generational shift here, but you know, as a kid in the '80s, in the '80s, we didn't—I mean, we didn't do these kinds of things associated with the school. You know, if I wanted to do Taekwondo, for example, it, that was outside of school. If I wanted to do Cub Scouts, that was outside of school. I did both of those for a little bit. Um, you know, when I wanted to play street hockey with with dudes in the neighborhood, that's what we would do. There was no 
There was no school-affiliated, well, it's the street hockey club, or it's this, that, or the other. We just never, it was never our thing. We were never interested in wanting to spend more time at school doing a particular thing. Again, this idea of, uh, you know, there can be a, a gay club to make students feel better inside of a school building. I have a better idea. How about the school just sends a strong message that safety is their number one concern and their number one priority, and if somebody's being harassed for one reason or another, that they put an end to it. The problem is, is that the kinds of schools like what exists in California, it's, they're clearly making it, well, they're clearly making it clear that if a school doesn't have these kinds of groups or these kinds of clubs, then there's something wrong with the school. I disagree. I think that the schools that are focused on the accurate teaching of reading, writing, and arithmetic, and then again, if you want to throw out as a school teacher ideas of what students or families could do if they chose to, their choice, not the schools, but things that they could do, um, you know, over the course of a weekend or a particular activity or whatever, something that's going on in the area, you know, that's healthy and not not political, which I know is a difficult thing these days, but I mean, th th there's that's harmless. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, yeah, so uh, th that's that's about all I can say there. Uh, it's a Bolshevik tactic, the business of recruiting students in such a radical way, uh, and and a militant way for that matter. And again, searching students' Google searches. And paying attention to what those are, that right there is an open admission that school-related and student-related computers that are being used by students are, are being searched by someone, whether that be the school teacher, um, the IT department that's in charge of all of the technology, whatever it is. They're, they're, someone is clearly backlogging that information and keeping it. Not just, of course, foreign countries. We know that that's happening. But someone at the local level is clearly doing that because how on earth would they know that a student was looking up something, uh, you know, transgender day related or whatever they were looking up? Um, it's mass surveillance. And again, you know, I, I, I I've said it a million times and I'll keep saying it. I can't think of a more unhealthy environment than an American K-12 school. I just can't. Uh, they're using too much technology. There's too much technology being infiltrated and, and being utilized in place of just good old-fashioned straight-up instruction that needs to come from a knowledgeable adult, hopefully, and then that works its way toward a student, and then the teacher, hopefully, is willing to take questions from a class, uh, even if it challenges what the teacher may think that they believe or, or challenges what they think they actually know. And then having, you know, a, an honest-to-God conversation or a dialogue back and forth on, on it, you know, issues that are relevant to that particular class subject. These are things that are dying. You know, dialogue is is just dying, which is too bad. But um, again, this is an area where the homeschoolers are just laughing because they're reading, they're asking their parents questions, they're asking their friends who are also homeschooling. Probably, they're asking them questions. Um, you know, there's healthy routine and healthy dialogue, but not in these environments. It's just it's not happening. 
And now you're getting a behind-the-scenes look again with this revelation that they are actively recruiting individuals to, again, go after them uh, regarding their sexual interests or proclivities or questioning particular things that are, that are sex-related or gender-related. It's beyond perverse, uh, and that's, again, putting it mildly. There was also, on a, on a related note, there was also audio from a school board meeting, I also believe in California, where, again, uh, administrators were actively, and, and teachers within this particular school, were actively seeking out at least one particular student and trying to convince them that they were transgender or something along those lines. And I, I, I played that audio on one of my war videos um, a few episodes back. And it was the mom addressing the school board, and she was furious, as one would expect. The question that I always have, and you've heard me mention it before, is: is what's the follow up to that story? Does the mom, you know, has the mom in that situation who was furious and screaming at the school board about what those administrators had done? What's the next step? Is mom now homeschooling? Has mom pulled her children out of that school environment? Were those administrators or teachers who were responsible for that fired? You know, these are the follow-up questions that, are in unfortunately, in many cases, don't get answered, and people don't ask those follow-up questions to see what actually happens. It becomes a headline, it becomes an audio clip, and then it just goes away. Uh, yeah, so I, I think it's remarkably unfortunate, but again, it's just more proof that there is a, a, a uh, well, it's a it's a consistent underlying scheme that exists to indoctrinate students, dumb them down, confuse them keep them confused, and then you either have this Gumby-like character who becomes an adult who can easily be bent and manipulated by, again, television, media, and all the other influences, or you end up raising children that are the exact opposite. And I'm pretty sure it was um, Thomas Jefferson who said, on matters of style, swim with the tide, and on matters of principle, stand like a rock. I mean, that right there is, is, is a, a singular quote that an individual should, I think, focus on when it comes to raising a child, in particular one in one of these environments where they're, again, trying to be bent multiple different ways and manipulated multiple different ways. And as I said at the beginning of this, that individual's talk with, with Jordan Peterson, the Abigail Schreier, if I'm saying her last name correctly, um, it was very interesting because what you ended up with was massive self-harm among these quote-unquote transgender or questioning individuals, questioning their own sexuality. And then you had uh, a great deal of regret as well. You also had individuals who actually went full-blown with the uh, transition surgery, so to speak, which is a mental illness. End of story. It just is. And for somebody who says that it isn't, the simple comeback to such a person is rather simple. You uh, you look at them and you say, you don't think that this is a mental disorder? Well, in that case, cut your genitals off and and uh, and tell me that uh, you feel 100% normal. Well, that's not for me and you know that's for somebody else and that's someone else and that's what they're dealing with and not me. And it's like, well, wait a minute. If I said the exact same thing to you that I was interested in doing that, I would hope that you would stop me. But see, that right there is part of the mind manipulation. 
and the breaking of the mind. Again, the suicide rate among these individuals is remarkably high. They're driving these individuals, which again is a Marxist tactic, they're driving youth to be as miserable as the adults are. I think that's the overall scheme here. And it always has been, of course, because that's that's the mission of Marxism, is to make everyone as miserable as they are. Marxists are inadequate in all of the in all of the ways that you might expect. They're weak, they're not strong. They're ugly, they're not attractive. They're dumb, they're not intelligent. They're illiterate, not well-read. They're the opposite of everything that we should hope and want to be. And there you go. So that's kind of my summary and rant on that. This next incident, I, I should say, um, comes from Maryland, a Maryland high school. And I'm basically just going to kind of break this down as quickly as I can without reading too much of this. Uh, It's titled, NAACP and community leaders are asking for three high school employees to be terminated after video footage shows them restraining a student and hitting him. Now, um, apparently what happened here, and this I believe dated back on December 2nd when this incident occurred, which should tell you again how late some of this actually makes its way to the public. But um, this particular black student, male, again, high school, certainly a teenager, of course, uh, had punched at least two individuals in the face in the cafeteria. And then adults who were working there, it looks like at least one administrator and maybe a couple of deans or whoever it was, uh, tackled the individual to the ground and they were restraining him which, again, they have the right to do because the individual was assaulting people. Uh, where it gets a little a little juicy or confrontational, I suppose, beyond the obvious, is that one of the individuals, one of the uh, male adults who is on top of the student, punches him a couple of times in the back of the head while he's on the ground with what looks like a closed fist. That's clearly taking it a step further than than what should happen. I mean, it's evident in the video that the student is is detained uh, and has been restrained and and isn't moving around much. <clears throat> There's some movement, but whatever. My my bigger question will is a couple of things. First of all, it doesn't surprise me that political organizations in a local area would would throw a fit about uh, any student, but in particular a minority student, um, breaking the law and then not wanting to hold that individual accountable. And then, of course, they immediately go after the individuals who restrained the individual who was hurting other people, and it was the restraining that was the problem for them. I'm not, I'm not making excuses for the adult who punched the kid in the head. N- nowhere in the restraining manual which, by the way, is, is worth noting <clears throat> that there are classes and certification that educators and paraprofessionals can receive when it comes to restraining students in, in a school setting. There are, there are things that they are taught. Um, anytime, again, somebody chooses to work in a school building, why you would do it now at this point is beyond me, but uh, th- there are usually certifications that exist, and I know it depends on the district and certainly the state too, but there are certifications that do exist that give certain individuals within that school uh, the ability to detain people in such a way or restrain people, uh, students in particular, 
uh, you know, in a in a violent incident or or some kind of a a fight or scuffle or whatever you want to call it. Um, I was I was good friends with with a woman who had received this training and she was describing a lot of it and again a lot of it had to do with sort of bear hugs and then slowly you know bringing them to the ground and wrapping your legs around them and you know doing doing particular physical moves to restrain an individual without without punching them kicking them uh, you know or a good roundhouse to the side of the face. Uh, with all of that said. When I watch the video again, and I've brought this up recently too, where on earth are the resource officers during such an incident? Where are the handcuffs? Because in this video that lasts again approximately a minute, give or take, I'm saying to myself again, if this is a high school, and it's probably a big high school because most high schools are relatively large, where on earth is the resource officer? Are, is there a resource officer? Is there one? Are there two? Um, where's the person with the handcuffs? And and this right here again, in the business of restraining individuals, I'm going to kick this up a notch. I actually think that given the gun debate and, you know, we should have guns in schools and this, that, and the other, how about handcuffs? And I mean that. And somebody might say to themselves, well, that's controversial because you'll just have teachers handcuffing people to desks and, you know, whatever else. I'm not saying that teachers should have handcuffs. I'm saying that Based on this video alone, these individuals didn't have handcuffs. They're, they're leaning on this student. They're, they're pinning him to the ground, which, again, is fine. But handcuffing them is going, to, is going to restrain them. And that individual is going to know that law enforcement is on the way based on what they've done. And, again, there's nothing saying that there can't be a policy or a, a straightforward method as to when to implement particular handcuffs for particular violent students. And again, as you would expect, it would most likely be within a violent situation. It's not like you would walk up to a person who is uh, verbally assaulting someone and then you would just handcuff them. Uh, you know, that's not, what I'm, that's not what I'm suggesting by any stretch. But if cops are walking around on the streets with tasers so that they don't have to use a gun, why can't administrators or deans, for example, you know, the ones that aren't completely feckless, but the ones that actually do their jobs, why can't they have a pair of handcuffs in their, in their back pocket um, if they were to come across a physical altercation? And then they can just learn, again, it would require training from police officers and certification and XYZ. Why not just have handcuffs? Because again, once the handcuffs are on, that tends to, or certainly could, de-escalate a situation. Because again, what is the student going to do? Are they going to run out of the building with handcuffs, you know, with their hands cuffed behind their back? Probably not. They're probably just going to understand that, that it's over, the incident is over, and that's, that's it. So, yeah, that's kind of my take on this. But again, it always raises more questions, but it's never the it's never really the issue that ends up being brought to the forefront. Now you have to keep in mind this is Yahoo News. This particular story is coming from Yahoo News and the NAACP got involved and you know, why are they targeting minority students and this that and the other? Well, the bigger question is is why was this minority student punching students in the face in the cafeteria? Why isn't this minority student being expelled permanently from the school district? They are being charged criminally, which is great. 
that's that's a good move, and the fullest extent of the law should come down on this individual, again, regardless of age. Assault and battery is a felony. And if it happened twice, well, there's two felonies. And I've you know, I've mentioned this too, is that there was a you know a very long time ago, again, when I taught school, I remember asking an administrator once, it was a random question, but I was curious and had always been curious. I said, of all of the fights that occur, I said, say there are ten of them. Ten physical altercations between two separate parties. One one is innocent, one is guilty. I said, of those ten, how many of them have criminal charges pressed against them from the parents of the innocent party? And without hesitation, she looked at me and she said, seven or eight out of ten. She didn't even skip a beat. And I said, really, seven or eight out of ten? That that's I was pleasantly surprised. I thought, well, that's excellent. It should be seven or eight out of ten. It should be ten out of ten. Because again, it's only within such an environment, uh, a K-12 school environment, where such behavior would would be tolerated and be given a second chance. And and such an individual, regardless of their race or gender, would be given a second chance or a third chance or a fourth chance. If if a you know if, if an adult did this to another adult in the workplace as adults, just randomly punched them in the face during their lunch break, they would be fired. They would be arrested, they would be fired, they would not be allowed back on the property ever again. If two teachers did this, two adult teachers did this within a school environment, decided to just throw down one day and just start wailing on each other, if that occurred within a K-12 school environment, they'd both lose their jobs, they'd lose their certification, uh, they'd be kicked off the property and told to never return. But when minors do it, it's tolerated. When minors do it, well, we can counsel them and we can, you know, take them into peer mediation and we can have them hash it all out and we can work with them and mold them and, you know, they're not all bad and it's our job to be the parent and blah, 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 blah. I mean, that right there is dangerous. And if we've learned nothing this entire semester, it should be that. It's that giving second chances to people minors or not, within such environments where it is the only environment, I might add, and I've written about this at length in in most of my books, and I've certainly spoken about this as well, but it's the only environment where you have that many people congregating who are of the same age all together for, frankly, the rest of their lives, because there aren't many jobs that have that many people all together who are roughly exactly the same age on a day-in, day-out basis. I understand that there are big workplaces and big work environments, but at that age, that's the only time that it really ever occurs. For the most part, people tend to work in smaller learning environments. They tend to not work in groups where there are a thousand plus people all in one area. So again, sort of just by the numbers, it's a dangerous environment from that standpoint. But the business of giving students extra chances, more than one or two or three or more, that's that's the deadly mistake. And that continues to be the deadly mistake. Again, this particular student who, who was punching students in the cafeteria in this Maryland high school, what does their discipline record look like? Because again, I don't know of anybody, I don't know of any organization that runs to 
to violent white people to defend violent white people. They're just, those organizations don't exist. But unfortunately, if a minority is guilty of something, there are always those out there that decide to play the race card and race bait and divide and, and do, what, do what they do sometimes in order to, again, cut excuses from the outside looking in for such a, you know, for such a violent student. Um, it goes without saying how dangerous it is, and it goes without saying how ridiculous it all is. But it's just more proof, again, that such environments are remarkably dangerous. I even saw another video again on Telegram just the other day. It looked like, um, looked like two students were about to brawl. Uh, you know, one of them picked up a chair. The other one either looked like they were holding back uh, this female teacher, older female teacher, or something. But one of the students, you know, threw a, a chair at the, at the head of this other student, ended up hitting the school teacher uh, in the head with the chair, WWE style. And then uh, the student that was sort of holding back the teacher, I don't, again, I don't know if they were holding them back so that they could get hit or they were holding them back to protect them or what they were doing. But then uh, that particular student that was behind the teacher lunged at the, at the student that threw the chair and knocked him to the ground and started wailing on him. You know, I can't think of a, a, of a more unhealthy learning environment. These are the, I understand that physical confrontations are a part of reality, but in a civilized society, they shouldn't be. And I just think that it's giving away, again, it's common sense, and I'm repeating myself, but it gives away that the environment itself is uncivil. So they can't come forward and say, well, we're proactive and we learn and we're interested in achievement. Don't mind Billy and Sally over there beating each other's brains in. Don't, don't look over there. Focus on the words that I'm using and the word manipulation that I'm uh, you know, attempting to get you to believe these are the things you need to pay attention to. Yes, I know that there's blood on the floor now, but yeah, we have people who can clean that up. Anywho, keep paying attention to what I'm saying. Oh, yes, one of them isn't breathing anymore. Well, we have phone numbers for that. Don't worry. I mean, it's that kind of deflection, just basic and blatant deflection that is really, really problematic. So I don't know. More of a rant on a completely ridiculous subject, but again, it just proves again, how, how just violent and unnecessary some of these environments are and the divisive nature um, is, is most evident when the right thing isn't done the first time. If the right thing isn't done the first time, don't expect it to be done the second or third or fourth. Uh, last story here before I get into some better news and some good news here to close things out for this week. Uh, this comes from the Blaze. Again, right in line with the face coverings and the, and the mask and the PCR test nonsense. It says, Michigan admits schools with mask mandate have similar COVID-19 case rates to those not requiring face masks or face coverings. Hmm, why would that be? Because the masks don't work. They're a compliance device, and we know this. The, the, the interesting reason that I, I bring this up again is it's more proof positive that the cat is out of the bag here on the mask wearing. If anybody's been forcing the mask wearing, please remember who they are. Remember their names. They will go down in history as being child abusers. These people should not be able to walk down the street. 
They're proving that they're illiterate. They're proving that they're receiving money for masking children. They're proving all of this. Can you not read the directions on the side of a box? Again, I've been over this before. So the revealing part about this particular story is that it's highlighting a study that was done by the University of Louisville where it compared COVID-19 case growth in states with mask mandates to states without mandatory mandates. And it says the researchers concluded, quote, mask mandates and use likely did not affect COVID-19 case growth. The interesting part about this, I'm sure, is they don't take a hard enough stance by basically saying in their conclusion, we recommend that no face masks be worn. And if anybody actually was paying attention to any case increase, again, think of how they're measuring all of this, oxygen deprivation which has been covered at length on this podcast, is a cancer-causing practice. It's a cancer-causing occurrence. And it's an illness and immune system uh, destroyer, you know, for lack of a better phrase. So for schools to say, well, we have mask breaks and we have this and we have that, you know, I'm I'm sorry. Um, the, The facts say otherwise. So we have to remember who these people are. We have to remember what they've done. Um, Unfortunately, the normalization of of child abuse is in full force here. And even, I would assume, some of these leftists, if they're even taking on these subjects in their research and conducting this research ethically, they're having the results just floor them to some extent. And they're probably experiencing small private moments where they're saying to themselves, oh God, I wasn't expecting to see that. And they're having their illusion just chipped away at, just a little bit at a time. I'm not saying that these individuals are going to see the light by any stretch of the imagination, but they're certainly having their illusion shattered just a little bit. And as far as I'm concerned, you know, that's, that's good enough to some extent, um, at least again for the individuals that are still attending these environments. Uh, A couple of good news things here, and then I'm going to get into a little bit of a history lesson as well. Um, Let's see. Okay. Locally, first of all, a wonderful listener of the podcast emailed me a while back when it came to me discussing the chronic cough that I had. And I use the word had because it's pretty much gone, which is great. In fact, it, it is gone. I'll have a couple of throat clears every now and again, but it's not chronic like it was. They highly recommended the liquid form of hydroxychloroquine, or the the fruit-based quinine grapefruit lemon concoction, so to speak. And as it turned out, and I was very grateful for their for their advice, and they they brought up specific stories of themselves and their family members and how it worked for them. Uh, and as it turned out, I had that at my disposal, frozen in mason in mason jars, and. Uh, what what I ended up doing was, is I emailed them back and I said, how much do you take? Because I've just been taking a little bit at a time and very infrequently. And she got back to me and said, you should be taking probably four to five gulps a day for probably seven or eight days straight. Well, once I started doing that, again, at the end of that week, it was a night and day difference. Uh, it worked, is my point. So what I'm going to do is, is in the description below, if you haven't done this yet, uh, I highly recommend it. You can certainly also freeze this liquid as well and keep it in jars uh, as I have, and, and you can freeze it 
make it very easily and, and, and freeze it in these jars and then thaw it and stick it in your you know refrigerator when you want to drink it. Um, but it's it's the recipe to use particular grapefruits and lemons and uh, the the juices that get sucked out of the rinds. And I'm not going to describe the entire cooking process of it, but I will link the description in below and, and how this particular individual does it. Um, and again, these are you can easily look these up on most search engines, probably not Google because they'll call it fake news. But it's certainly on um, DuckDuckGo and, and Startpage and things of that nature. So yeah, it worked. And so I just wanted to say thank you for uh, to that individual for recommending that because yeah, it worked. So there's the update on that. Uh, let's see, a couple other things. The local school district where I spoke back in August, um, some of the things that I have done with them over the, over the last few months here, and along with countless other individuals and parents, of course, who are, who are pressuring the school board to, you know, pull their heads out of their asses for the most part, uh, it seems to kind of be working, although I, you know, I, I don't, I'm not going to give the school board any credit whatsoever or any of their administrators, but a couple of inroads have been made here. Number one, the superintendent uh, is still a moron, and that's not going to change because he actually still believes that jabbing, jabbing people uh, is, is working and that jabbing people is preventing coronavirus, which is the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my entire life. Uh, with that said, he's decided that on January 10th, that their mask mandate will be lifted, but it will still be strongly recommended, quote unquote. Here's the fun fact with that. And you've heard me bring this up. A mandate is a recommendation. That's what a mandate is. Legally, a mandate does not mean mandatory. It means voluntary participation. So at no point did anybody have to wear a mask at all. It just shows how stupid people are when it comes to the law and that there are no laws that force individuals to be gagged. Um, that's just the way that it is. So they can scream the word mandate at the top of their lungs all they want. They can even now scream highly recommended all they want. If a student or a staff member goes back to these school buildings where I live and they still wear a mask after January 10th, they are showing you their lack of intelligence. It's that simple. The mask has always been the equalizer on this entire issue. It really has. If a person is walking around with a mask, they're showing their lack of intelligence. Um, that's, you know, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that that probably sounds harsh to some or many, but that's the way that it is. And when an environment, like a working environment, says you don't have to anymore, even though you never had to in the first place, but if an individual still continues to wear one, they again are, are, are showing themselves that they are not reading or thinking for themselves. It's a giant sign around their neck that says, I don't do things. I don't read things. I don't look things up. I don't think critically about anything. And that's, that's what it's showing them. Um, let's see. So that's a good thing. Another good thing, two good things as a matter of fact, and who knows, maybe we can speed up this process a little bit. But in the last school board meeting, the high school principal and the HR director in the school district where I live are resigning, which is fantastic, and don't let the door hit you on the way out. These two morons um, should have left a long, long time ago, and it just shows you that when individuals are as old as these people are and they remain in the, in the business, they are not in it for the right reasons. They are in it for power. 
That's usually why they just stick around. They're in it for the power. But what they couldn't handle was the legal pressure that was coming down on top of them. And it should still come down on top of them. And I bet it will in the future. Uh, just a little side note there. Um, I also think that they can't handle the, uh, the pressure from the parents. They can't handle the emails anymore. They can't handle the phone calls. They can't handle this, that, or the other. See, these are ways that you get rid of these people. Is you, you make their phone ring off the hook. You send them endless threats. You go after their certifications. There are endless ways to, to crush these people, and they should be crushed because they're child abusers, and they should be given no quarter on any, you know, on any ground whatsoever. So that's all, that's all good news. Uh, let's see. Yeah, so that's, that's the good news. And who knows? There might be a few tricks up my sleeve for these individuals in the, uh, in the coming months. Time will tell. But uh, I'm not going to let that cat out of the bag yet. And there are multiple cats in that bag, so time will tell. But again, these are things that countless individuals can do. You can request documents. You can go after certifications. You can do a lot of different things, ladies and gentlemen, and I highly recommend you do it. And again, the average citizen, you don't even have to be associated with the school district in any way to squeeze these people and lean on pressure points. These pressure points need to be leaned on, make work for them. Uh, make them busy. Make them hate their job because they hate your children. So, you know, revenge is a dish best served cold after all. So there you go. Okay, now to wrap up this particular episode until we meet again on Monday, a quick history lesson. And there's no real segue here from the uh, previous stories that I brought up, I assure you. <laughs> so, uh, I apologize, but uh, yeah, we'll just we'll make do. Um, lots of Christmas carols, of course. Lots of different songs out there. Uh, the one that I enjoy, and I usually don't get too personal on particular things like this, but I will on such an occasion. Um, it happens to be Silent Night. The problem is that so many people sing this song and they destroy it. Me personally, I'm a bit of a originalist, and I enjoy Christmas songs that are sung in German. So the Biederfeld Kinderchor is my uh, my favorite rendition, so to speak, and it's specifically done on the Christmas record, vinyl record that I own, and I own a couple of copies, is uh, A German Christmas is what it's titled. So I highly recommend it. And I will also link that in the description below so you can give it a listen. But uh, I wanted to read through the history of this song because it really is interesting. It sort of showed up and then went away, wasn't popular at all, and then became popular over the course of time. And now, unfortunately, we have to hear a bunch of people butcher it um, while they make money hand over fist singing the song. But the original is really the best. And again... Most most Christmas tunes are German, and most Christmas tunes are Austrian. And uh, yeah, when you get children singing them or you get adults singing them in the correct language, in the correct tongue, it's absolutely fantastic, I think. And this particular song has also been uh, translated in over 140 languages, so there you go. This comes from GermanWay.com. It says, A Christmas Carol Goes Around the World. 
but the familiar melody we recognize today as Silent Night or Steel Knocked is not quite the same as the one that Franz Gruber composed, and although the song was not truly lost or forgotten as legend would have it, the world-famous carol did not take many years to become as well-known as the ubiquitous as ubiquitous as it is today. It then says, in the intervening years, Joseph Moore is known to have written a steel knocked arrangement around 1820, and new handwritten arrangements by Franz Gruber appeared before his death. Um, it continues, one for the full orchestra in 1845 and another for organ in 1855. By 1900, Steel Knocked had made its way around the entire globe, but we should start at the beginning. On a cold Christmas Eve in 1818, Pastor Joseph Franz Moore, who lived to 1848 and was born in 1792, walked the three kilometers from his home in the Austrian village of Obendorf B. Salzburg, if I'm saying that correctly, to visit his friend. Franz Xavier Gruber in the neighborhood in the neighboring town rather of Arnsdorf B Lauf, Laufen Moore brought with him a poem he had written some 2 years earlier he desperately needed a carol for the Christmas Eve midnight mass and was only hours away he hoped his friend a school teacher who also served as the church's choir master and organist would set his poem to music and one of the many amazing things about this carol is that Franz Gruber composed the steel knocked melody for more in just a few hours on that December 24th, 1818. Recent flooding of the nearby Salzach River, if I'm saying that correctly, maybe not, had put the church organ out of commission. So Gruber composed the music for guitar accompaniment. The guitar pictured below... Uh, is thought to have been the one Joseph Moore played in 1818. A few hours after Gruber finished his composition, he and Moore stood before the altar of the St. Nicholas Church in Obendorf to perform their own work. A local choir group backed them up as the sounds of the brand new choir, or carol rather, broke the silence of the steel knocked. It then says, because flooding had damaged its foundation, the St. Nicholas Church was demolished in the early 1900s. The Salzach River, which also flows through nearby Salzburg, had a tendency to flood. For this reason, the entire town of Obendorf was relocated to a less flood-prone location some 800 meters upstream in the 1920s. Around the same time, a new parish church was constructed and a small memorial chapel, the Steel Knocked, no way I get that word, uh, repl <laughs> replaced the original uh, Nicola Kirsch, if I'm saying that right. Uh, and there's a picture there. Beautiful building. It says, for many years in the later half of the 19th century, with the carol when the carol was beginning to become more popular, people who knew anything about Steel Knocked assumed the melody must have been composed by a more famous composer, possibly Beethoven, Hayden, or even Mozart. Although Gruber had made a written claim as the composer prior to his death in 1863, doubts lingered on into the 20th century. The question was officially settled only several years ago, when an arrangement of Steel Knocked in Joseph Moore's hand was authenticated. 
In the upper right-hand corner of the arrangement, Moore had written the words, Melody von Verzavier Gruber. Uh, it kind of wraps up here, and it says, Steelknock, the song. Around 1832, when Gruber's melody was performed by folk singers from Austria's Ziller Valley, several musical notes were altered, and the Silent Night melody became what we know it today. It then says, but Austria's Silent Night Society, and it's in German, and there's no way I can pronounce that, uh, not only works to protect the more Gruber legacy, it encourages the use of the original notes that Gruber composed. In Austria, Steelnacht is considered a national treasure. Traditionally, the song may not be played publicly before Christmas Eve, and any commercial use of the uh, 180-year-old carol is verboten. Uh, contrast that with the situation in most other countries, where you are likely to hear Silent Night playing in the local shopping mall, or even as part of a radio or TV commercial. Nevertheless, Silent Night enjoys a revered position among Christmas carols all over the world, and no matter what it may be called or in which language it may be performed. Unquote. So there you go. Uh, I would love to play it for you here at least the version that I enjoy the most, um, and there are many that I enjoy, but as I've stated, all of my favorites are, frankly, in German. But what I will do is link a YouTube video of my favorite version of this song below if you're interested in checking that out. And again, the vinyl record is A German Christmas. So there you go. Other than that, ladies and gentlemen, again, Merry Christmas to everybody. Hope you have a good time. Hope it's relaxing. Bring up politics as much as humanly possible. I find that to be remarkably therapeutic. And uh, all kidding aside, have a great time. Again, Merry Christmas, and I'll catch you on Monday. Thank you for listening to American Education FM. Make sure and check out AmericanEducationFM.com for more information. Take care and God bless. <laughs>